everyone to All About Windows Phone Insight Podcast number 91, recording this on Thursday the 13th of March 2014. A nice sunny day at Rafe Blanford and uh, we're raring to go. Yes, we are. Lovely sunny days. I do apologise if there's the odd cow mooing or bird song in the background, but they seem to have all come out and be sitting outside my window right now. Well, I don't think you can complain too much. Uh, Rafe dashes off halfway through and heads for a, a nice cold lemonade in the garden. Who can blame him? <laughs> But in the meantime, let's pick his brains because uh, we did promise a bit more on Mobile World Congress and your experiences and the things you saw. We kind of left people in the lurch uh, last week. So uh, I get the thing touted above all else before MWC was wearables and that everyone would produce smartwatches and smart glasses and everything. I know this is kind of not Windows Phone related because there aren't that many that relate directly to Windows Phone. But uh, any particular highlights, things that struck you as a all about Windows Phone sort of director as you strolled around? Well, in terms of the Windows Phone angle, what surprised me most was when you asked these companies, did they have any plans for Windows Phone? Most of them said yes. It wasn't, uh, you know, oh, yes, the app is now available and you can connect it to. I think to give a bit of technical background on this, most of these wearables will use a Bluetooth low energy connection, also known as Bluetooth Smart. We've talked about it on the podcast before. Now, that was introduced in some de- devices with Lumia Amber Update and the rest of the devices with Lumia Black. And there are a couple of accessories that use this. I think the best known is the Adidas MyCoach, which is a heart rate monitor. But it's very much still kind of in testing. It's not really a publicly available API. But it is something that's going to become available in Windows Phone 8.1. And so a lot of those accessories will be able to then connect to these devices. And actually the the Nokia uh, kind of treasure tag that accessory that they announced a while back, which was being shown off at Mobile World Congress, is an example of that. Now, for some of the wearables, like the smartwatches, you actually need a certain amount of intelligence on the phone being able to access notification APIs, for example, you know, so you can get an alert on your watch when there's a new email or incoming call. Windows Phone doesn't really support that in its current version, but again, it's something that's going to be supported in 8.1. So there are a lot of companies saying, yes, we're kind of waiting for 8.1 and some of the support that's coming with that. We've had a you know, Windows Phone developer, we're working on it now. A good example of this is Fitbit, who were very much up front and said, yes, we had a chap a few weeks ago. He's working on it now. We expect to have something to announce in a few months' time. I wouldn't be at all surprised if that gets announced as kind of part of the you know the big hoo-ha around um, Windows Phone 8.1 at the Build conference, because I'm sure Microsoft will want to line up some partners. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see other examples of that as well. That kind of pattern did get repeated elsewhere. In terms of the interesting one, I think most people will be aware there's quite a lot of smart watches out there. The one that kind of caught my attention um, was one that kind of eschewed the typical smartwatch of just a screen. It was actually more a traditional looking watch that then had a screen within the kind of inner dial. And it was just for, you know, you've got a new call coming in or text message. So it wasn't the kind of the full smartwatch experience, but it had the same design ethos of the traditional watch. And that made it more attractive, I think, to the mass market. All of this wearables hype, and particularly around smartwatches, did feel like kind of the early days of smartphones when you know it was everyone's going to have one, but not yet. And um, I have to say, I'm more skeptical about wearables or specifically smartwatches because it's not something that I feel everyone is going to need, and certainly not at the current time. And there's some technology hurdles to overcome, bit something like the screen technology or even the battery technology. Uh, but if you look outside the smartwatch space, there are some really interesting things going on. Uh, with the kind of the fitness and health tracking, which is where wearables got started. And I think Samsung's Gear Fit, which had 
a curved screen and various sensors embedded onto it and fitted onto the watch looked quite attractive was probably the pick of the bunch in that respect kind of a shame that it's only going to work with samsung devices i mean that's kind of the attitude samsung are taking with their smart watches which they announced the next two of those as well at mwc and that feels like a mistake to me i think you need to be at the very least uh, you know manufacturer agnostic even if you're just sticking to one platform but you know the, the smart companies are making their stuff available on multiple platforms and you know fitbit's a good example of that and quite a lot of the smart watch providers are doing something similar uh, there were plenty of other kind of those health bands or tracking bands around uh, huawei announced one which actually kind of doubled as a headset which i thought was an interesting idea and headsets was kind of the other place where wearables were starting to come in you know lg showing off some ones that could track your heart rate by listening in on your ears and presumably picking up the pulse from that as well um one of the devices actually the samsung s5 rather bizarrely had a heart rate monitor on the back of it so that you know those wearable sensors are also going into phones and actually that's a pattern that's not talked about so much but uh qualcomm one of the big silicon providers you know they provide the snapdragon processors we're talking about how some of these sensors are actually going to be in the phones or in the chipsets rather themselves um, and there's it's obviously a limit to what you can do there but actually the lumia 1520 is an example of that it's got a accelerometer that can be always on which means it can be continuously tracking your footsteps without powering up the full processor nokia have their beta of kind of uh, tracking steps there's something on the beta labs that you can download now and that's going to be available more generally on phones so there's also that sense that wearable some of the technology will go into the devices themselves and you know one of the questions was which one goes where in terms of you know the consumer uptake if your phone can provide basic tracking is that going to be enough or do you want a specialized device uh, but in general it's probably fair to say wearables were a little bit overhyped at the show because everyone had one or was talking about them sony was showing off a concept um peter chow htc ceo was talking about how htc are starting to look at wearables in their press conference when they announced their and you desire 816 handset and that was a pattern repeated elsewhere i mean zte also talked a little bit about them um, i think the most interesting ones are still from those companies that are dedicated to doing wearables yeah. so in the smartwatch space we've got someone like pebble in the fitness tracking space we've got uh, fitbit jawbone i think would also qualify for that they're kind of a specialist accessory company um i'm less convinced by some of the manufacturers doing smart watches that are specific or have the best experience with their phone and samsung and sony currently fall into that category although it's fair to say you know their smart watches the second iteration in samsung's case are a lot better than they were first time round, but still a long long way to go i feel yeah yeah just a few points from what you've just said first of all that samsung galaxy s5 uh uh, heart rate sensor is a complete con. I posted a story on all about windowsphone.com where there, there are several applications. You just run them and they run the camera LED flash and the camera d looks at your capillary flow and does exactly the same job on any current, wind current Windows phone. So that you really do not need an S5 for that. You, you don't. And I mean, actually, it is a dedicated sensor on the S5 separate from the camera, but it doesn't make a lot of sense to me because it's not something that's going to be convenient to continuously track. Now, to give Samsung a bit of credit here, they do say it might be able to work when it's sitting in your pocket and things like that. It didn't work very well when I tried it, so we'll have to wait and see on that one. Uh, I think something like heart rate tracking is something that really makes sense on a, a separate accessory. You know, that's the reason things like Bluetooth Smart, Bluetooth Low Energy was invented. And uh, I think it's a step up from having to strap something around your chest. You can just put it around your wrist. That's great. And that's why I think the Samsung Gear Fit was actually a really interesting accessory. And um, 
you know, normally quite critical of some of Samsung's hardware choices, but they don't, they've done something really nice with that. And it's hard to get across in an audio podcast, but uh, it was, I think, the wearable that felt like it was most mature along this kind of design and thinking about how it would fit into the consumer life. I mean, it's, it, it does require the software component and Samsung Health. That's something they're going to push big with the, uh, the S5 itself. But that's the other thing that came out about wearables is it's not just about the hardware, it's about the experience, the software that goes with it. And again, I think it's quite early days on that. Uh, a lot of it is sort of about quantified self, you know, tracking tracking stuff. But I think the really interesting stuff in terms of the mass market is maybe when it is able to start taking more intelligent decisions or maybe adding a little bit more context to your smartphone life. Um, it's maybe a topic we'll touch on in a future podcast. Yeah. By the way, if people heard a thud about two minutes ago, that was me drop testing accidentally the Lumia 1320. <laughs> and it survived, you'll be glad to know. And Excellent. more on the 1320 in a few moments. Just a one before we leave wearables, Rafe, um, I know I've been speaking to the people at Pebble and uh, without wishing to give too much of a game away, um, it's, it's clear that there is an enthusiasm within the company that at some point they will get around to Windows Phone. But I've also been watching with great uh, interest their efforts on Android and trying to get the Android version of the, the the Pebble App Store up and running at all sorts of problems and it's clearly clearly a major endeavour to try and get something like this completely bug free and smooth and uh, I can absolutely understand if they don't get around to Windows Phone for at least a couple of months. Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. I mean, all the companies I spoke to was it was kind of the acknowledgement that Windows Phone was there, but it was not the same priority as iOS and Android. And if you look at the install base, that's kind of fair enough. And honestly, if they said anything else, you'd be slightly worried. There are a couple of companies that are sort of prioritizing Windows Phone because they want to support it as a way of, you know, kind of standing out from the crowd. And that's, I think, a, a valid strategy as well. But you're right. There's a lot of complexity to these products. I mean, there's a tendency to treat them like other accessories, relatively simple. But um, a lot of the time, they have quite significant bits of brains and components and, well, to use a total non-technical term, stuff in them. And they're not simple products. Just because they happen to be, if you like, companion products to a smartphone, they can be just as complex sometimes more complex in the engineering challenges you're looking to solve you know miniaturizing components down or deciding what to leave in and what to leave out is just as hard as designing a smartphone in in some cases and then you've kind of got the added hurdle to get over if you like that each of the platforms has slightly different ways of doing things and sometimes the permissions for doing some of the things that you want to do are quite difficult and that's been part of the issue with with Android and also on iOS, you know, you kind of ha- not quite hacking around the problems, but it's kind of intelligently working around it because most of these platforms aren't built with wearables in mind. We are starting to see updates that sort of do address that kind of requirement. But of course, when most of these things were designed and specified, wearables were still kind of in the concept drawings, but I don't think there was much learning about what would be useful. And, you know, Windows Phone is kind of the perfect example of that, partly about API maturity, but you know when they were specifying Windows Phone originally, there wasn't you know that much thought. You know why would an external device need to access the notifications queue? And now that's obviously something that is a big deal on a, a wearable yeah. device, be it a smartwatch or even just a simple alert band on your wrist. Um, and and personally, I actually think that way of notifying you about an alert um, and maybe displaying a bit of information about it, it has the most potential, if you like, for those wearables that are looking to notify you you know do, looking to do everything on the, a wrist mounted screen feels a bit clumsy to me but as a way of sort of doing glanceable information maybe the equivalent of the glance screen that starts to get a bit more interesting 
Yeah, absolutely. And watch out for more on that in due course. Um, if anyone doesn't want to know about non-Windows phone smartphones, <laughs> then please fast forward this podcast about five minutes. But uh, Rafe, without wishing to bore other listeners, um, just give us a potted highlight to the rest of the show. I, we've had presumably meant mostly Android smartphones. What really struck out to you? What, what did you pick up and think, wow, this really is special? Well, I think probably divide it into two categories. There was the high-end stuff. And for me, the pick of the show was the Sony Z2, which is kind of the latest evolution in Android's flagship line from Sony. It, what do I like about it? It was really the design that stood out for me, together with the fact that Sony's made some intelligent choices in the way that it's customized Android. And having a, a waterproof phone, which has kind of been Sony's speciality, starting to be picked up by other manufacturers now, of course, is also a, a nice extra. And they have thought about the way it fits in with the rest of the kind of the Sony lifestyle. I'm a bit reluctant to kind of endorse that kind of thing because I don't think anyone sets out to buy a Sony everything or any company for that matter. But, you know, if you do have a Sony TV or you know, PlayStation, the way that all fits together, you know, it does work and it's quite compelling as a, uh, an offering particularly when it's being demoed to you on the show floor um but they you know it's not the screen seems to be improved that was kind of an uh, air of weakness before similarly with the camera wasn't able to really try it out but it sort of looks promising i know you had a look at the size of the sensor and things like that and it looks like sony may be doing some interesting things there right steve yeah but i did say that's about a year ago and they still haven't done interesting <laughs> things uh, basically they, they, they've used a larger sensor but haven't made the most of it i'm sure nokia could do an awful lot more with a one over 2.3 inch sensor than sony have done and i continue to be disappointed but i also remain my gut feel is that it's all software and that if sony really pull their finger out they can improve it just as nokia have done numerous times with the image processing improvement in the lumia line so we yeah, may, maybe the z2 is the one certainly uh, was very glad to see the back of the the plastic film on the front of the screen over the glass that's right and um, i think with that story about camera software that applies to other manufacturers as well because we're seeing everyone kind of moving on to the next generation camera sensors you know the 20 megapixels one and, and there are a couple of different optical format sizes there but they're all generally a bit bigger than they were before but you're absolutely right to say that you also need the kind of the software team to back that up on the image processing side and it's probably where nokia does have a an advantage over others it's probably fair to say that apple and samsung have pretty good teams in that department as well although each have their own take on on how to do things and that, that probably comes down to personal preference and subjectivity uh, we've mentioned the s5 briefly um a lot of people were quite dismissive of in barcelona saying it's not much of an improvement it's just kind of iterative i'm not sure that's actually necessarily a bad thing i mean the s4 has been a fantastic bestseller for samsung maybe a step back from what they were expecting and honestly i expect that pattern to continue with the s5 but i don't think there's much reason to doubt that it's going to be one of the best-selling smartphones throughout the rest of the year i i was pleased to see that they kind of improved the build quality particularly where it was constructed around the back, I was less pleased that it's still got the same kind of plastic size to it, which I guess is a, a Samsung design kind of hallmark, but it's not something I'm, I'm much of a fan of. Um, they haven't done anything too stupid with the software. It's actually very similar to what was on the S4. I think we may see some developments of that before it gets released. But I, I was actually quite impressed by the device um, I think it's easy to sort of say, oh, you know, something hasn't done much or it's not very interesting. But I think that's the problem when you're kind of, you know, the big leading smartphone. And the same would apply to Apple when they announced devices. Plenty of room to be sceptical and few people sort of step back and go, well, actually, they're already producing a good device and they've you know, managed to make some uh, good improvements to it. Uh, but as I say, the Z2 from Sony was still my pick. 
in terms of the other devices, you know, LG were showing off a whole bunch of their devices. Their stand actually really pushed the uh, Flex, which is this curved smartphone screen. Still can't say I'm particularly convinced by that. But if I had to talk about you know a, a bigger trend out of MWC, there was more attention on the mid-tier and the low-end devices. Now, there's a very good reason for that. It's where the growth in smartphone sales is going to come from in the next few years. And people are talking about the emerging or developing economies, and that's generally a reference to places out in Asia, also to an extent Africa and the Middle East, and that people are going to be buying more cheap smartphones out there. And so a lot of companies were kind of picking up on that trend, and particularly some of the Chinese manufacturers, also the Indian manufacturers, and I felt the quality of those mid-tier and low-tier phones was better than it has been before. I suppose the rule of thumb you could have for talking about this is it's going to be increasingly hard to buy a bad smartphone. Now, of course, there's still a difference between the top end and the, and the low end, but the quality of those lower-end devices, as well as their price, um, you know, the quality is going up, the price is going down. Um, that also applied in the mid-tier. It was interesting to see HTC talking about a flagship mid-tier device, something of an oxymoron in some <laughs> ways, but I could actually see what they meant. It's the same approach, actually, that I think Nokia have been taking with some of their devices. You know, you see the Lumia 625 or the Lumia 1320, which we'll talk about in a minute, and they're not the kind of expensive all-in-one, you know, the so-called extreme design moulded out of a single bit of polycarbonate or however they're put together instead they're kind of a, a wrapped up you know, multiple components and then put in a removable shell but actually it feels quite good in the hand it feels you know premium of what would have been a few years ago a very good build quality not much in the way of squeaks and that that applied more generally there were still some cheap nasty phones about particularly when you get below the hundred dollar mark um but that that just caught my attention I thought that's interesting to see that emphasis and there was more talk about those low-end and mid-tier devices than there's ever been before MWC, which has always kind of been a showcase for the, you know, the latest big thing. Uh, the Nokia X, which we talked about last week, was kind of also an example of that. And actually, that probably caused more chat at the phone than anything else. But I think that may be for other reasons as well. Outside the big players, um, we should mention BlackBerry announced a few devices. Did feel a little bit like their last roll of the dice, but you know their first Foxconn produced device, i.e., not being produced by uh, or manufactured by BlackBerry itself, hoping to cut costs, and that's the Jakarta uh, device. It's difficult to see BlackBerry coming back, but they're also appealing to their kind of their core base by producing a, a QWERTY device with sort of sending end keys and a navigation key on the top of the device. So interesting strategy there. We'll have to wait and see on that. They haven't um, actually produced any, though, have they? I did, didn't see a that's single right. image of a Qwerty, and you got the impression that they thought, well, we better announce something because people are asking about it, but we haven't even thought about the design of this yet, let alone made one. That's right, and it's coming out much later in the year. So I, I imagine there's a few prototypes about. Um, but yes, it, was, it, it felt more as if they're in a position where they're being heavily criticised. We need to announce something now, and we can't just do this you know, low-end uh, BlackBerry 10 device. Uh, yeah. It, it will appeal to their core audience, but their, that core audience is really being savagely attacked. I mean, Samsung were talking about version two of their Knox security platform, which delivers a lot of the security promise that you know, had previously drawn companies to BlackBerry and equally you have Microsoft and Nokia doing the same thing with Windows Phone, particularly the way it integrates with backend systems and the sort of trusted computing and the secure boot, all those kind of catchphrases that come out when talking about enterprise uh, computing and sort of having isolated storage and secure storage for individual apps. So it's 
that appeal that BlackBerry used to have seems to be draining away. It won't disappear altogether because that incumbent advantage is still there and the kind of inertia for these big companies where you know, having a, an installed BlackBerry solution, they just keep going and keep going and keep going. But what was interesting talking to some of the enterprise vendors around the show, because there are plenty of ones who are doing their own services, you know, mobile device management, nearly all of them said, you know, people aren't looking to switch to BlackBerry at all anymore. And those big BlackBerry installations are looking to switch away to other things. And interesting, they said there was a lot more popularity for Windows Phone in that business to business uh, space than there is in the consumer space. And that's actually reflected in Nokia UK sale. I spoke to Connor Pierce, who's the kind of MD for Nokia in UK and Ireland. And he said, you know, the consumer sales yeah, were about 10, 11% of consumer sales in January. That's of smartphones as a whole. So one in 10 phones, in other words. But when you look in the enterprise space or what's referred to as the business to business segment, it's around 17 or 18%. So not quite double, but that's starting to be a really quite significant part of, you know, one in five devices. And they expect to grow that uh, in the rest of the year. We've had a couple of companies announce that they're doing big Windows phone installations in the UK. And so that, that enterprise message, it, it's pretty damning for BlackBerry, if I'm honest. The one other, two other companies mentioned in passing, Firefox announced a whole bunch of Firefox OS-powered phones, a lot of them coming from... Uh, make sure I get the name right, Alcatel or TCL, which is a Chinese company. We're using that uh, Alcatel branding. There was also Firefox announcing a $25 phone. Honestly, it, it ran very, very slowly in the demo <laughs> that was shown off. And it feels like that's a kind of a very small gap to exploit when the cost of the Android and other smartphone devices are coming down as well. But to give them their due, you know, they're persevering and you know, having been in the Windows Phone world, which has sort of grown and had to relaunch itself, I would never dismiss out of hand another platform. But uh, Firefox does feel like it's going to struggle and it's it's been kept alive because it's got operator support, particularly from the likes of Telefonica. Um, the kind of other side of that spectrum is looking at Yola, who had a big stand at the show, had an opportunity to talk to Mark Dillon, their CEO. The Yola device, I mean, Steve, you used one. Yeah. It's impressive for a first effort. There are some rough edges to it. There has been a software update that's sort of smoothed some of those out, but there's still a lot of work to do. But what did impress me was they produced uh, what they refer to as the other half, which is kind of a back cover for the phone, which enables you, you put it on and thanks to an NFC connection, you'll actually customize both the theme of the phone, but also put on a couple of applications, potentially content as well. So you can put on, for example, they had an Angry Birds cover and it becomes the Angry Birds phone with a wallpaper theme, obviously the games as well. That I think has quite a bit of uh, potential it's hard to see Yola as a company really exploiting that because I just don't think they're big enough. They don't have the mind share or the volume to kind of take that concept to a big scale. But an interesting idea, and actually it's kind of um, you know an evolution of the active covers that you might remember from a Symbian device, yeah, a Nokia yeah. N79, which changed the theme based on the colour of the cover you put on. Yeah. Um, Yola also have you know some prototypes from third parties for the other half for you know keyboards and other kind of accessories that kind of an interesting bit of innovation i don't know about you Steve, but that actually kind of appeals to me as a as a phone geek absolutely i was going to say in regard to you know firefox on very low end hardware with hardware with absolutely nothing special about it no unique selling points we even talk about the, the, the nokia lumias and and across most of the range there isn't that much to differentiate it until you get to the high end and the cameras 
Um, and maybe, maybe the, the, the lower end, the 625 and the 1320, because of the, the sheer size of the phone and the value proposition. But um, going back to the, the Yola phone, uh, you, you, the unique selling point here is the other half. Now, if, if they don't have, if the other half stop at Angry Birds covers and covers that change the themes, then it is literally nothing more than another low end touch slab um, that's going to get absolutely swallowed up and, and hammered by Android and even Windows Phone um, from every direction. Now, if they can actually get out other other halves, which actually makes sense and start getting some traction, a battery one would be a, a favourite one of mine, for example. If you had another half, which was another couple of millimetre thicker, had a, an extra battery in, and I did notice there are lots of contacts uh, under the battery cover between the two halves on the Yolo phone, so I presume at least two of those are for charging. So imagine you're out and about, and your main battery is running low, you just out of your pocket, whip on the other half with the extra 2,000 milliamp hours and bang, you're good to go for another four or five hours. I mean, that might be really interesting. And it's a totally unique hardware selling point that at the moment nothing else could match. Uh, that, that's right. And I mean, that's a problem for Yola. They do need to stand out from the crowd and they're starting to have um, some success. They've talked about, you know, various partnerships and they are selling devices in Finland, but it's very limited at the moment. Uh, I mean, honestly, I am sceptical about their strategy I mean, I was given the, the full kind of the briefing loadout, and I think most people listening to this will be at least familiar with it in passing. And it's really interesting, you know, the whole idea of continuing the open source philosophy that was kind of espoused by Mamer and then subsequently Migo has a lot that is appealing about it. And, you know, it is the idea of the little guy up against, or an upstart S against the big guys, you know, the David versus Goliath matchup, if you will. But you know, my heart goes, oh, that's really interesting. My head says the business case of that is is dubious. And yeah. it's just I feel that they can afford to make one or two mistakes and then they might be in danger of running out of money. And however good you are, you look at any smartphone manufacturer or platform provider, however good you are, mistakes happen inevitably. You might misread market trends or something like that. Nonetheless, they've done better than I ever thought they would and they produced a device in a very short amount of time and clearly have quite ambitious plans for the future so one that's worth keeping an eye on yeah absolutely I'm staying with hardware and uh, I I guess this is uh, directly related to Windows Phone again Um, Qi spelt Q-I we just have the news this week that the wireless power consortium i hope i've got that right wpc um has announced that microsoft and samsung microelectronics have joined it basically as i see it meaning a clean sweep so we now have the point where there is so much um company momentum behind qi charging as opposed to the power mat and whichever the other one is a 4wp um that qi charging basically has got the the dominant uh, certainly the sales share and now the mind share as well and hopefully we now all settle down on qi charging these other formats can go away and at last out in the real world, we'll start to see Qi uh, charging stations in restaurants, in coffee shops, at you know, in airports and train stations. I, I really hope this is the future, Rafe. I've said this <laughs> over and over again that Qi charging is is the future. It's so wonderfully convenient. It changes the way you use your smartphone. It changes the way you charge it. It just needs more charging pads in more places and more phones that support it. And I think we're gradually getting there with this latest announcement. That, that's right. I mean, whether those, you know, wireless charging water quite over yet i I don't know because there are still some supporters on the other side and we had the frankly ludicrous situation where at&t removed qi charging from the 1520 because they support one of the other kind of technology and i mean i'm sure it annoyed consumers in the us i'd be livid if my operator did that to me um you know taking away functionality like that and it's not as if they provided an alternative but you're right with a couple more partners signing on 
Um, the momentum behind Qi is certainly there. The other thing that's worth talking about, they announced this a little while back and they were promoting it at uh, MWC, was kind of the next version of Qi uh, will have support for resonance charging. That's important because it actually makes it more flexible. You'll be able to wirelessly charge through uh, a, th- a thicker surface so you can put something underneath a table and you'll be able to charge through a table it's to do with the way the technology works i won't go into detail here but it makes it a lot more flexible particularly when you're putting it into things like furniture which as steve was saying there has a really interesting implication for kind of providing wireless charging in you know the wild in restaurants in coffee shops and things like that rather than have to put it on a specific point you'll be able to not only, this is resonance charging, there's two things about it, through thicker surfaces, but also you have to be less specific about where you put yeah. the device down. And you know that kind of fixes the problems that you have with Qi charging. I think people who've got it now, it's fine having it sitting on your desk and putting it down, but you realise when you start integrating it into other things, having the exact target to put it down and having to make sure there's not too much between it and your device is a bit of a pain. And so that next set of the specification does kind of sort out those problems. And it's kind of tying up just a few usability loose ends, I guess you'd say. Uh, The good thing about all of this is that it will be backwardly compatible. So you'll be able to use new devices that support the kind of the latest stand on your old accessories. And of course, you know, your old accessories will uh, work with the older devices. In other words, vice versa. Um, I think I just messed that up, but apologies for that. Uh, I should mention, Ray, you did mention you didn't want to go into detail on this resonance thing in the podcast, which I quite understand, but presumably there's a, there is a detailed feature in plain English that we can follow on the site coming up, at which point we can understand all about it. Yes, we'll be covering that in a, a bit more detail. It's kind of still, to a certain extent, on the drawing board at the moment. In the, you know, It's in the specification, and we'll start to see accessories with that, I think, probably later this year. Um, and I, you know, we'll probably get all the usual suspects on that. I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Nokia supporting it from a fairly early yeah. on, just as they did with, uh, you know, Qi charging the, the earlier versions. Yeah, and we should mention also on the site on Windows, all about com, There's my review of the Mooganizer um, N11, which is basically a a portable power brick. We're used to these portable chargers, but this also has Qi support, so you can just plonk your device on this charger in the middle of nowhere, and it will start charging, which is all very convenient. But you do lose, of course, the usual 30%. So it kind of it swings and roundabouts, but you also get the option to charge by USB. I did notice, Rafe, that Nokia's equivalent, I think it might, is it the DC50, you only charge your device port- portably um, using Qi. So you're out and about. You can only use the Qi charging. You can't also use a cable to get the maximum efficiency. Is that right? Uh, I believe that's right. I haven't actually seen uh, one of that. Well, I have seen an accessory, but I haven't tried it out myself. Um, I think that you're right in saying that. And so you know, there's a limitation on that. Actually, those kind of accessories, I think, make more sense if you regard it as kind of a premium version of an ordinary Qi charging pad. In other words, you use it as a kind of a standard charging pad most of the time. But when you want to go out and about and take a bit of a battery boost with you, you can do that. You know, the the kind of the dedicated, uh, something like the DC-19, which is a Nokia accessory that looks a bit like kind of a round cylinder, is probably better if you just want a portable battery charger. But one of the problems with those is you kind of forget to charge them up. And of course, the benefits of using it as a charging pad all the time, it's it's pretty much guaranteed to always be full. And so it's that, I guess, real world usage, those charging pads do make a, a lot of sense. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, moving on, we've got uh, about five minutes or so left on the podcast. Um, connected cars. Now, I'm assuming that uh, you're not going out to buy yourself a Ferrari. <laughs> I did see some, some stuff from Apple to do with Ferrari, but I'm assuming you're talking uh, more generally and on uh, lower spec cars. How does this relate, if at all, to Windows Phone? Well, this was just something, again, out of MWC. We've been a lot of announcements chat about connected cars, and we've had Google do their Android Automotive Alliance, as you just referenced there. Apple are doing kind of CarPlay in OS 7.1. But there's been a lot of activity around this for some time in the mobile industry. And it was around a technology that Nokia started off called uh, Terminal Mode. It then got absorbed into something called the uh, Connected Car Consortium. And it got kind of rebranded to MirrorLink. And it's the idea that you replicate your phone screen onto the head unit that's kind of the screen that appears on your dashboard of your car and obviously there's certain things that you have to do when you do that and most of that involves not not playing angry birds or fruit ninja while you're driving along and so it's kind of a safety thing it will block certain applications from displaying if the car is in motion but it will give you access to your music to your contacts and will integrate with kind of controls either on your uh, your, your dashboard or on either side of the wheel or something like that and this technology has been going along for a while and actually it got mature enough to the point where it was supported by Symbian, Nokia's previous smartphone platform, but then the switch to Windows Phone happened, everything kind of went quiet. We have seen uh, Android start to support this mirror link technology and there are now quite a few devices running Android that have that built in and we're starting to see cars come out with that. In fact, uh, the first one I think in terms of being pre-installed is VW Polo starting sales this month are actually going to have uh, a mirror link compatible head unit in the car and you just connect a usb cable and it's it actually uses vnc technology uh, to kind of mirror the display from your phone up onto the the head unit but the interesting bit as far as windows phone is concerned is that microsoft has just joined this connected car consortium and are very much committed to bring that technology into their mobile platform which of course means windows phone and so I think we can expect to see an announcement around Windows Phone and Mirror Link before too long. Yeah. Okay. Um, one final thought before we leave you. The Lumia 1320 is here, a real budget phablet, if I may use that word. I think that word's now in the, in the, the public <laughs> consciousness, so I will use it anyway. I'm really impressed by the 1320, Rafe. I know the 1520 is high specified, but the 1520 is something like two and a half times the price. Um, I'm impressed by the, the clarity of the display. I'm impressed by the build quality. I'm certainly impressed by the price. It's actually quite heavy as well, which I guess means that there's a really hefty battery in there. And I, from anecdotal evidence, I gather the battery life is spectacular as well. So, uh, yeah, the review's coming up from that from me, uh, Rafe. But in the meantime, your thoughts on the 1320? Well, as you say, it impressed me far more than I thought it would. It was announced at Nokia and all the attention went to the 1520. But having tried out the 1320 for a, a few days... What stood out most for me was actually the quality of the screen. Usually in these kind of mid-range or these budget devices, there's a lot of component cutting, I mean, and that applies to the 1320. For example, there's a drop-down from a 20-megapixel camera of the 1520 to just a basic 5-megapixel camera. I mean, it's still adequate, and you, know, you can do all the fun things with Cinemagraph. But I think that's a fair enough cut. You, know, that's, you accept when you're buying a cheaper device. But the screen, yes, it is a reduced resolution, 1080p down to 720p, but the quality is surprisingly good. It's protected by Gorilla Glass 3. It's got clear black display technology, super sensitive touch, all those bits. And 
yeah, I mean, it's not as good as the 1520, but actually it's not that far away. And I can't help but compare it to the Lumia 625, which had a much lower quality screen, but still, you know, that emphasis on having a big screen. And so to me, this feels like, you know, Nokia producing a device that has that same fantastic value for money that I saw in something like the 620. I mean, there are a couple of other bits to note. For example, there's a, a compass sensor in it, so you can do the augmented reality and the full navigation kind of functionality. There's a, just a single hack microphone, but at least it's a high-quality one, and it doesn't have that much of an impact on calling. More of an impact maybe on video recording. There's a micro SD card slot in there, so the fact that it's only got 8 gigabytes of memory really doesn't matter that much. The processor's pretty impressive. It's Snapdragon 400. That's actually broadly equivalent to kind of the Lumia 1020, 920, 25 uh, it's going to be the kind of the new low or mid-tier windows phone hardware kind of that, that standard we're going to have snap during 800 400 and 203 tiers as opposed to kind of the two tiers we have now but more than anything else it was just that, that x factor that feel in the hand and you know the design of it is kind of all these components put together and then wrapped together in bits of plastic and that screwed together and there's an integral battery which you said pretty big 30 uh, 3,400 milliamp hours and then put in this removable cover and the end result is something that feels really quite solid in the hand the build quality is excellent i think the weight is maybe a bit too big but i guess it's something you expect from a, a fablet and a six inch screen device yeah. um and you sort of go how on earth you know do you justify spending an extra 250 300 pounds to go up to the 1520 now of course there are reasons to do so but when you sort of go, well, I could get two 1320s with a price of one fifteen twenty. If you're not a smartphone geek who wants kind of the latest cutting edge, uh, you know, those just as we've had before with the other devices, you sort of go, hmm, fantastic value. And I think certainly better than kind of the equivalent devices that you get on the Android platform. Um, and you know, Windows Phone really shines in this kind of mid-tier, in my opinion. And that's going to be even more true when the Windows Phone 8.1 update comes out. And I think we can be pretty sure that the 1320 will be one of the first devices to support it. Yeah, absolutely. So watch out for my full review of 1320 over the next couple of weeks. Rafe's video mini-review is already up on the site. We'll link to all of the things we've mentioned in the show notes. It's all about windowsphone.com. I guess we're done for this week, Rafe. Next week, I'd like to talk a bit more about Windows Phone 8.1 and just, again, look ahead about um, three three, three weeks or so to, to build conference and to what we can expect. And, and again, we'll go over some of the highlights and the things we're really looking forward to. I think there's still features that are leaking out, videos that are being shown off, et cetera, et cetera, things I want to talk about and discuss. Um, so if that's all right that with you, we'll go for that next week. Yes, we'll go for that next week. Uh, no doubt there'll be even more leaks by then, so there'll be a bit more to talk about. And hopefully we can also get you to give us uh, an update on the 1320 and whether you've enjoyed it as much after having used it for a few days. Yeah, I suspect the biggest battle, as ever, will be actually physically carrying it around with me. <laughs> yes. It's a bit of, bit of a lump. but it, um, yeah. It's a big screen device. I think that's something you have to be aware of with all these devices. Hold it in your hand before you go and buy it because you need to be comfortable with that. And for me personally, I would go for a smaller screen device. But increasingly, it does seem that people like those large screen devices. So uh, uh, don't always take what we say about what the best screen size is. Yeah, well, I've started using as my backup phone the um, Samsung Galaxy Note 2, which is about the same Ooh. size. So I guess I've not really got a leg to stand on. <laughs> uh, and luckily, in this time of year, I've got plenty of pockets to put these things in there. So Excellent. Anyway, um, thank you very much for listening. Uh, it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me.